Welcome to the Dale Sabor A Tu Salute podcast by Tadine. I am your host, Chef Carla Contreras. Join me as we steep in the world of Tadine with tea-inspired recipes, steeping tips, and interviews with fellow creatives, foodies, and entrepreneurs from our community. You can find Tadine at Tadine Teas on Instagram and more information in today's show notes. Lola, I am so grateful to have you here today on the podcast. Can you tell us who you are and how you serve your community? Yes, my name is Lola Wiarco Dweck. I am the writer and recipe developer behind Lola's Cocina, which I founded 10 years ago this month, back in 2013. I serve my community by really trying to be an ambassador of positivity for my Mexican culture. And I do this by sharing about the food, people, and places that inspire me the most on my website, Lola's Cocina. And my goal is really to inspire others to maintain the delicious dishes that we grew up eating so that they're not lost through the generations. Outside of work, I'm a mother of three beautiful bilingual children, and I enjoy traveling, exploring new restaurants, coffee shops, and tea shops, and practicing yoga. Incredible. I love this. And I also love that you put in wellness as part of your description that you do yoga. And I love seeing on your feed, especially those, there's one picture of you where you're post hiking. And it's just incredible to see you put that at the forefront of what you do. Let's talk about what's in your tasa. What was the last studying tea that you drank? I'm actually currently sipping on the canelita tea this morning because it has a little bit of caffeine, which I'm really sensitive to caffeine, but I feel like this isn't too much. It's just enough to put a little pep in my step and I don't add anything to it. I put two bags of tea in boiling hot water and I don't feel that it needs any sweeteners because to me canela is naturally sweet. So I love it as is. It does have this naturally sweet flavor. Have you tried the pumpkin or the apple spice yet? I've tried the apple cinnamon, but not the pumpkin. The apple cinnamon, I feel like, is so close to this. Do you feel like the similarity between those two teas? Yes. Yes. I, that's probably why I love both of them. <laughs> yeah. They're very cinnamon forward. I'm drinking throat wellness right now. You can probably hear I have a scratchy throat, so supporting my throat with that. Let's get into your family connection with tea because you have so many associations and stories around tea. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So one of my earliest childhood memories around tea, I just can remember my Nina, my godmother, she lived right next door to us. She always had a pitcher of té de limón, which she sweetened with a little bit of sugar and it was always cold in her refrigerator. And we used to love going over because she'd give us a cup of ice cold tea with a cookie and we'd have to sit on a little stool so we wouldn't make a mess anywhere. And I just always remember loving it. And then as children, I felt that chamomile tea was what our parents always gave us just to help us unwind and relax. But more recently on a trip to Mexico, it was really hot. We went to Tulum with my kids and it was very, very hot. We kind of got tired of just drinking ice water. So the place where we were staying, they had chamomile tea and I put that in our, I made it hot first and then put it on ice with a snag of sugar for the kids. And they actually really loved it. So that was a great way for us to stay hydrated. 
I just feel like tea is everywhere in my family. Hibiscus tea is something that we make for big family gatherings. I mean, I don't think people consider it. I, in our family, people always consider it an agua fresca, but it's actually an herbal tea. And we make it in a big batch to just to serve a lot of people at big family gatherings on ice, of course. And then um, what's the other one that I really love? Te de canela. That's just once it starts getting even remotely cold, I have these fond memories of my mom or my sister making it and just the house smelling like beautiful cinnamon, those warm aromas that just filled our house. And now I find that I make that and I kind of try to recreate that for my children in our own home. The minute I see one little snowflake falling, I'm brewing te de canela on the stove. And you're carrying on that tradition in your family. Yes. Well, we started this episode talking about wellness, and I think that this is a thread, especially throughout your website, throughout your Instagram, and throughout your life. It plays a role, and it also plays a role in your recipes and in your family. Can you tell us about what wellness means to you and how you incorporate it throughout your life? Wellness to me means really nourishing my family with age-old recipes that have been passed down through the generations. It also means replacing sugary drinks with aguas frescas and water and herbal teas and being conscious about what my children consume and what I consume, not only when it comes to food, but also technology, TV, um, iPads, all of that. I kind of try to limit that in our home. And in my life, this is really reflected in the recipes that I grew up with. I like to share, for instance, my great grandma Angie's chicken soup recipe with my children when it gets cold around here. I make my tias frijoles de la olla on a regular weekly basis. But of course, I have my own twist to all of these recipes. I make mine in the crock pot instead of a big olla so that I can kind of set it and forget it. And then I also like to incorporate new spins on recipes that I grew up with, like picadillo, but I try to make a, a little bit healthier spin on it by making it with a leaner meat, ground turkey, or refried beans that I make with, I fry it in coconut oil, which a lot of people are surprised because they think the coconut incorporates a strong coconut flavor, but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So my coconut oil replaces the lard that we grew up eating and loving. And then, as you know, Latinos do have a high, higher prevalence of diabetes, and that definitely runs it's true in my family when compared to the general population. So I've seen that a lot of these issues could really be addressed through diet and exercise, at least in my own family, which in some cases might mean stepping away from the TV, stepping away from the news and the novelas and getting outside and going on a walk instead of just sitting and being stagnant all day or incorporating more fresh ingredients into our weekly routine and our, you know, our meal planning. And also in some cases, in a lot of cases, especially in my family, it, something as simple as cutting back on soda and alcohol can just make such a positive change for a family. So I guess for me, wellness really means being conscious about what my family and I consume. And I really do make an effort to be active and share this message with my community or anyone really who's willing to listen. Yes. And it's so prevalent throughout. And it's so inspiring to see how you not only do this for yourself as a mother, but you also incorporate your entire family in this. I would like to get into how you integrate your Mexican culture, and your husband's Jewish culture in your family and in your cooking? I love this question. So my children are really just immersed in our Mexican culture every day. We speak Spanish at home to each other, and they speak Spanish to each other. The older ones are also in a bilingual language immersion program. I have to drive two hours a day to take and come back, take and come back. So it's pretty, it's a pretty big commitment on my part, but that's really how committed I am for them to be bilingual. We eat the traditional foods that I grew up with. We spend Christmas with my family where we eat and make the, make and eat tamales. And we also spend summers 
in Mexico where they're fully immersed in the culture and the food and everything else that's that comes with being in beautiful Mexico. And on the flip side of that, they also attend Hebrew school every week. We spend the Jewish New Year and Passover with my husband's side of the family. And that's where we really celebrate the foods that he grew up eating, which are a lot of Sephardic, kind of more Middle Eastern type of foods, which all of us also love. So I think what makes that it makes me really proud and happy that my children are comfortable in a lot of different settings. They can walk into a church and feel comfortable in a church. They can walk into a synagogue and know what's going on in a synagogue. So they're able to navigate between churches and synagogues, Christmas and Hanukkah, just as easily as they're able to go back and forth between English and Spanish. And that just really, as a parent, makes me happy and proud. Wow. It's it's so incredible to hear how committed you are to, you know, the two hours to drive them and also to just really take the time to incorporate Spanish, especially language into your everyday life with your children. And I listened to one podcast where you were talking about pronunciation and I was so inspired myself. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to practice. Well, I would love to get into you are one of the 4.5% of Latinas with a master's degree. I would like to know what inspired you to become an entrepreneur. What's your mission and why is investing in yourself important? So my mission is really to inspire and support the next generation of Latina leaders. And truth be told, traumatic life experience actually led me to become or to want to become my own boss. I've seen so many family and friends dedicate their lives and their just their entire lives to their work and to their employers, only to be let go at the drop of a hat. No questions asked. They don't even know why they're let go. And this actually happened to me back in 2009. I had uprooted my life to live and work. This was before I had a family or I had children, actually, or I was married. So I uprooted my life to go live in Washington, D.C. And I was one of the few people working for an organization who was let go due to downsizing. And as the saying goes, no hay mal que por bien no venga. That's when I applied to grad school. I had I had already taken the GMAT. My test scores were good for five years, and this was already year five. So it was really a blessing in disguise because if I didn't apply at that point, I would have to take that test all over again, which I would have dreaded. But so, yeah, I applied to grad school, got into program at San Diego State University, which I absolutely loved. It was a dual program in Latin American studies and your M- MBA, Master's of Business and Administration. So I had everything that I loved which eventually led me to launch my own business. And I've started Lola's Cocina in 2014, a couple of months before my first son was born, and then Lola's Mercadito in 2017. And it really did start off, I feel that back at that time, a lot of people started their websites more as an outlet, not really as a business. But I always knew that when I started my website, I wanted it to grow into a medium that promoted other business opportunities for me. So from the onset, it served more as a resource for people who were interested in Mexican food and culture and cooking by providing my family recipes. But then eventually it set the stage to expand into my themed cooking classes and recipe development, where I actually get paid to develop recipes for national brands, as well as uh, starting my online shop. So I feel that just being in control of my value, my own values and the culture that I set within my own business was always really important to me. And it's reflected in what I do every day. I'm able to support women of color by hiring them to create products for my shop and by also um, partnering with organizations. I've t- taught classes for different multicultural organizations in corporate settings. 
And I think for me, all of this is what makes all of this worth it is that with the revenue and the profits that I'm able to generate through all these different revenue streams, because it's not just one revenue stream that I have for this business, I'm actually able to give back and support Latinas through higher education. My husband and I make it a point to give back to different scholarship organizations and to different organizations that support female entrepreneurship, which is really my goal to to support in life. You know, if I can make an impact, it's to support this next generation. So I feel that I'm very fortunate to be able to identify what success means to me. The fact that I'm able to leave the entire summer and spend summers and spend the time in Mexico with my children is really important. We can work ourselves to the grave, but that's not really my goal in life. I work my butt off throughout the year so that I'm able to enjoy the time that my children have off because, you know, we only have a set amount of summers with them and before they take off and want to do their own thing. So, yeah, I love what I do and I love that I'm able to give back and spend my free time doing what I really want to do. It's so inspiring, Lola. Thank you so much for sharing about your journey. I'd like to get deeper into who you work with and support, especially how you source the artisans that you work with for your Etsy shop. And I also have a personal question of who creates your vanilla sugar and your salsa. Okay. So just to answer that one real quick, I do make all of my food products, which is extremely labor intensive. And I eventually want to find a co-packer to create the products for me because My salsas can take me at least a week to make a very small batch because it's so labor intensive to make. But yeah, I make my products. And I guess regarding the sourcing and the artisans that I work with, I've always just been intrigued by all of the beautiful products that you can find throughout Mexico since I was a child. I mean, I remember going to the mercados when I was little and always wanted to buy all of the beautiful things that you saw. And in 2012, when I was conducting my thesis research in Oaxaca, I actually met a lot of these artists because I don't know if people know, but a lot of what you see throughout Mexico is made in southern Mexico, in Oaxaca and in Chiapas. So I was able to make connections while I was there conducting research. I started buying some products. Initially, I bought products and just thought, oh, this is going to be for my home. But then it got to the point where I had so much inventory that I thought, wait, I can actually open a shop. And now I make conscious trips just to buy products. So yeah, I work directly with a lot of the artisans or I buy from third parties that work directly from the artisans. Just to give you an example, the woman where I source my beautiful hand embroidered aprons, I met her when I was conducting my research and we've always just stayed in touch and she creates different, uh, you know, sometimes I get requests for children's aprons or for plus size aprons. And she's able to create that for me because I have a direct line of communication with her. We message all of the artisans and I message each other on WhatsApp, which is really cool. They can even call me and show me videos of new products that they're coming out with. And that's where they send me all their pictures. The same is true with the woman where I source all of my wooden products. She makes me spatulas, spoons, appetizer toothpicks. And she's actually the second provider who I've gone through for these products because the first one ended up moving to the U.S. And I just remember when I had that connection with the first artisan, she told me that the the money that I used to pay her for products that I purchased for my shop actually helped fund the construction of the home that she ended up building in her town, which I never thought what I was purchasing purchasing was, I mean, in that large of quantities to make an impact like that. But I don't know. I just think it's important for people to know that when they're purchasing from my shop, they're also supporting female entrepreneurship across the border because a small purchase can mean a lot to these artists. And there's so much work and detail that goes into, because I I bought a couple of things and you sent me 
the most beautiful little spoon and toothpicks to go along with what I bought. And it's amazing to look at these and to look at the detail and the color and to know how much work went into it. Yes, I love it. It's kind of hard buying everything because you want to keep everything for yourself. But I do keep a lot of this for myself, luckily. <laughs> so thank you, Lola. That It's just so beautiful. Can you share with us what is culinary tourism and why is it important to travel with your family? Culinary tourism is really when people travel specifically in search of food experiences. And this can include anything from exploring local restaurants, food festivals and markets, taking hands-on cooking classes and workshops so that you really just learn to prepare traditional dishes through hands-on experiences, visiting food museums, taking part in any sort of tasting, chocolate tasting, mezcal tasting, honey tasting. So, I mean, there's just so many types of experiences that you can create when you're traveling. And it can also be traveling locally for a food experience. So visiting a local farm, going to culinary festivals, it just encompasses a lot, which is what intrigued me about uh, my, this is what I researched when I was in grad school. And it's important to me because I feel that food is something that unites a lot of us. And it's something that I researched for my master's thesis, which is why I have a personal connection to the actual culinary tourism, its definition and all of that it encompasses. And also because I think it's one of the most beautiful ways to experience a culture through food, through local markets, you can just get a taste of everything a country has to offer or uh, even a state has to offer. So when I travel with my husband or with my children, we plan everything around the food, around the donuts that we can taste, around the cooking classes that we can take. And everyone just really gets into it and really, really loves it. Oh, it's so beautiful to hear another family. I, I know that my family does the same. It's like, oh, we're going to go to this farm and we're going to go get ice cream. We're going to sit outside in the orchard. It's it's incredible to hear that you are taking your family and they're having these experiences with you and they're learning through food and culture in order to continue this, hopefully with the next generation. Yeah, that's the goal. Hopefully they do. Hopefully they love food as much as I do and travel and culture, everything. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Lola, how can we find you? How can we work with you? How can we support you? You can support me really by visiting my website, sharing my recipes and leaving five-star reviews if you try any of my recipes. Leaving comments is always really helpful as well. And then visit Lola's Mercadito and do a little bit of shopping for yourself or for your loved ones this holiday season and just really beyond. There's a lot of different gifts for hosts and for birthdays and for anyone really, for chefs, for bakers. I think you can find something for everyone on my shop. Gracias. Thank you so much for steeping in the world of Tadine. I am your host, Chef Carla Contreras. You can find Tadine at Tadine Teas on Instagram and more information in the show notes. If you're on iTunes or Spotify, please leave us a review. Adios. <laughs>